the near sideline. Trinneman is there. Makes the catch at the 30, 20, 10, and just like that! Touchdown Cougars on the first play of the game! Takes it down the right side of the lane, right to the rim, scoop, and a score! It rolls around and drops down. Takes this free kick and curls it inside the left post. What a goal! He's been with you for the moments that make your BYU sports memories. He's the voice of the Cougars. And this is Behind the Mic with Greg Rubel on BYU Radio, Sirius XM Channel 143. Here now is your host, Greg Rubel. Good Wednesday evening, Cougar Nation. Great to be back behind the mic here in Studio 2 at the BYU Broadcasting Building on the Brigham Young University campus here in Provo, Utah for our once-weekly hour of Cougar Conversation. It's our 15th episode since we began this uh, back in August, and I've truly enjoyed having this uh, new forum to share my passion for BYU sports with you all, while at the same time bringing you a better understanding of what makes some of BYU's best, the people they are. Hope you've enjoyed the broadcast, too. We'll keep them going into the springtime before taking our summer hiatus. If you are joining us live tonight, to welcome in on BYU Radio, Sirius XM 143, org, and or the BYU Radio app. Good to have you with us. After the fact as well, if you're listening on demand later on, it's a via podcast on my Behind the Mic with Greg Rubel podcast feed or via podcast from the Behind the Mic show page at byuradio.org, where you can also get every show archived for on-demand listening. The BYU Radio show page also has our weekly Dave Rose Coaches Show archived and available for podcast. Coming up on this evening's show, it's an all-BYU basketball edition of the program featuring BYU assistant head coach Tim Lacombe home joining us in studio followed by BYU's all-time scoring leader uh, Tyler Haas joining us on the line later in this hour Tyler's little brother TJ and his BYU teammates getting ready to host Idaho State tomorrow night right here on BYU Radio my interview with a Tyler will be uh, tonight's catching up with the Cougars segment sponsored by BYU alumni but as we often do we start the show with someone who like me spends a lot of time in the BYU broadcasting building or on the BYU TV airwaves he's a former head coach of the Cougar Hoopsters who has also spent some time with me on the radio over the years as a broadcast analyst he is of course Steve Cleveland joining us on the line tonight to kick off our show hello Steve how you doing Greg I'm good Cleveland well uh where are you and what are you up to right now you know what we're in Clovis California and which is uh, Central California, about three hours south of San Francisco, three hours north of Los Angeles. And here with my my good wife, we're uh, getting settled in. We're going to build a home here, and uh, this is where all three of our children and nine grandkids live here. And it's been great. We've been here for all oh, for about eight weeks, so it's been wonderful to kind of catch up with the kids. And we've been away from them for a while, so everybody's uh, it's just been great. And that's where home used to be and is once again now, after you've spent uh, much of the last uh, 20 years in, in Utah and Indiana and elsewhere, right? That's correct. Yeah. In fact, I was, uh, I was from Southern California, but eventually we moved up to Central California. But my coaching career at the high school level uh, and at the junior college level was here for about 20 years. And in 1997, obviously, I came to BYU. But we, we do have uh, a lot of friends here, a lot of, and then obviously I went back here. But we have a lot of friends, family, and it's a place we're really comfortable with. But I think most importantly, we're just we're with our kids and grandkids, and, and we have young grandkids, so we're trying to get to know them <laughs> since we've been away. Now, 
this is, you know, people in the Valley, you still see you around here occasionally, and people who watch BYU TV in the games have still seen you working there. So you're not, uh, you're not totally cutting ties with, uh, with BYU no. and Utah County by any stretch. No, it's been nice. Uh, I, I, I do some consulting with, with, uh, uh, that I've really enjoyed with collegiate teams and as well as some corporate things, so I'm doing that. And then I'm, I'm like in January, I'll be up for a couple of weeks for some games with BYU TV. And, uh, you know, doing these kinds of things with you and 1280 The Zone and others during basketball season. So it does keep me connected. We have dear friends in Utah. We've just, we love it there. Uh, felt like we needed to, to be with our kids. But the world's flat these days, and so we can get back and forth, and it's, it's always fun to come back. It doesn't take me very long to get adjusted to Provo. About five minutes. <laughs> Steve, uh, you, uh, fans know you had uh, you had eight seasons at BYU, uh, four more seasons at Fresno, and then you were off to uh, to Indiana for three years as a mission president. Um, it seems like this entire period of time with those things I mentioned have all kind of really zipped on by to me. How about you? They have. They have, yeah. I mean, eight, eight years there, six years in Fresno, they're 14 years, and obviously the Fresno deal was kind of like the BYU uh, in that we were trying to build something, and then the the mission was a little bit of a surprise, but uh, you can imagine how that flew by. All of those experiences have really blessed us in our lives personally and with the young men we coach, with everybody that we associated with at those schools. But most of all, the players that you just develop relationships with and, and four or 500 missionaries. So uh, at the time when you're going through it, it just seems like every day you take one day at a time. But the fact that we've been home for 18 months, from that mission, uh, it's time is flying by, and it's been fun to watch you and watch uh, everybody in Provo associated with the program and see all the good things that are happening. Yeah, I'm glad you corrected me. Six seasons in Fresno, uh, 2005 through 2011. I said four mistakenly, but it is, of course, six there after eight here. I had on the show here last week, uh, Steve, one week ago tonight, I had with me Matt Montague in studio. And uh, it was really it was really neat to talk about Matt's journey through BYU because uh, it began yeah. the season it began the season before you came to BYU as head coach. He was part of that one in twenty five year him and Eric Nielsen, and then they came back and you were now established as the head coach. Can you take us back to that time when you knew that you had Matt and Eric coming back? What you hoped you would get from them? What you knew about them in that one in twenty five year? And then how important uh, Matt and Eric both were? I, I point out those two guys in particular in kind of getting done what you. Wanted to get done uh, as head coach. You know, when we got there, we had several young men that took off and went on missions, so we had to just kind of start over. And but I, I just remember how mature they were and, and and their leadership. But I can't tell you. Maybe uh, only the two of them could appreciate because they really. I, I don't. There may have been some other players that had been in that group that came back, but those two especially because they had a significant role on that team when they came back and were part of that fourth year where we won the conference, won the conference tournament, went to the NC2As. I mean, it was special. And, and, and I especially remember Eric Nielsen, our third year, that uh, we were in a situation where we remember going to the tournament. We played Utah in the semis there in the tournament, the first time we ever beat Utah. And, and Eric Nielsen played a huge role in that game, defensively and offensively. And uh, I, can, I can still remember this in, in that press conference. And, and that was a big win for, for BYU at the time because uh, Utah had just kind of dominated, uh, obviously, BYU for several years and had the Final Four team. And so it was a situation that uh, the first question to Eric Nielsen was, so, Eric, where where have you been? You know, And well, he'd been in Russia. 
in, on, on a mission. And he had a platform and a chance to talk about his experience there and, and to talk about the same exact things that you're bringing up. You know, you were part of that one in 25 team. How does it feel to come back? And I have special memories and feelings for both of those young men, considering all that they did and the leadership that they provided. And you remember the game at home when we were down 20-some to Utah and uh, at the end of their careers. And both Matt and Eric were the ones that made huge plays at the end of that game for us to win that game. So got special feelings for both those young men. Yeah, after um, after having well, we had Matt on last week, and, and we talked about that game. It was Utah week when we had Matt on about being down twenty one late and coming back to get that done right near the end of their careers, as you mentioned. And the assist, uh, the, the game winning shot was Eric Nielsen off the assist from Matt Montague, appropriately enough in how, that game. How how appropriate is that? Yeah, absolutely, and it's just fitting considering the journey that they had been on and to, to finish it like that. Uh, we recently had. Uh, uh, Coach Rose and, and his staff put together a uh, uh, kind of a former players and former coaches met at the practice facility and, and had a chance to see and take pictures with a lot of those players. Uh, you know, Justin Weinhardt, uh, that, that first year, and talked about his game at New Mexico. Just a lot of reminiscing and an opportunity to see um, these young men when I hadn't seen them in, in several years. I mean, they've been busy living their lives, and many of them live away from Provo. But that, that was a really special Saturday when we were able to meet. Yeah. Steve, you mentioned um, that you know in your fourth season as head coach here, you got back to the NCAA tournament. It had been six years away, six years since BYU's last tournament appearance before you got there in 2000, 2001. Getting back to the NCAA tournament for Dave Rose now compared to what you were trying to do then. I mean, it's been two seasons away from the tournament for Coach Rose and his staff, and it's the first time they've gone back-to-back without being in the dance. You had to go a longer time and kind of build it back from the bottom. But can you empathize with, with Dave wanting and needing to get back uh, to that spot? Well, I mean, yeah, because he's he's been at you know kind of the top of the mountain here several times. He's been where he's wanted to be, and they had a great deal of success uh, in his first four or five years. And... So that was kind of his expectation and the program's expectation and the fans' expectation. And so, yeah, you know, it's just, you know, it's never easy when expectations are so high. But that, I, I know Dave well enough and, and, and that that's where they've been and that's where they want to get back to. And I think they're a lot closer to being back in that particular position. But it's a, it is a different time and a different era and we're in a different league. And, you know, when we were in the Mountain West, when he was in the Mountain West, it wasn't so unusual for two or three teams to, to go to the tournament. Um, that, that's not the case anymore, and especially with the WCC. In the case of there are two teams, but uh, it's not a league that traditionally is going to produce three NC2A tournament teams, mm-hmm. especially with, in light of how the NC2A tournament set up now. Steve, it's been exactly 20 years uh, since you began your head coaching career here at BYU at the uh, at the Division One level. So it's been 20 years, and who you brought in to start with you, Dave Rose and Heath Schroyer, are now here together again. What is it like to see uh, the guy you brought in, Dave Rose, and another guy you brought along, Heath Schroyer, now working together 20 years later here? No, it's been fantastic. You know, I don't know what I was thinking, but we had four JUCO guys coming in there, and that will probably never happen again. <laughs> Uh, but but at the end of the day, uh, the other night I was watching them coach, and you know, and, and Heath has been a head coach for three years, and and to, to see both of them standing up, uh, <laughs> you know, during the game, during the play of games, and yeah. 
One, t- one time was kind of funny. Heath was like, I had to be three feet out on the floor. That's not really where an assistant coach needs to be <laughs> during the game. But I thought, my oh, man, you got to get back. And uh, But, you know, the nice thing is you have two really good friends that have been reunited, and there's a great deal of trust uh, on both their parts. And for me, to see them both there and to see kind of the decisions that Dave made to, to, to kind of make some changes. And, and, and listen, you're, you're a school as long as he's been. Things will work, and, and, but there are times for changes. And I think they've appropriately made those changes. And, uh, and together, it's been a powerful duo, and I, I, I love it. I mean, I absolutely love it. It's fun. I, I've stayed in touch with Heath all of these 20 years, and we were pretty close. And so it's been fun to see that and to watch me and Dave interact. And uh, I think there's going to be some really good things that are going to happen when, as they're together as coaches. We're about a third of the way through the regular season, Steve. Uh, what are your thoughts on, on this team's style, uh, their results so far at 9-2, and two, the schedule they've played, and the, and the potential of this group? You know, one thing that I think is really obvious is there's an identity to this team. And I think the last couple of years, not that they won, they won a lot of games and they had some really good players, but I, the thing I really like about this team is that it's, it's, it's a program that's been built on the ability to win on the road, which they've been really good away from the Marriott Center. And it's, it's kind of a system that just keeps you in the game every game. I mean, it's not to say that you're going to win every game, but when you play with pace, when it's available to you, and then you put yourself in a position to, to execute in the half court offensively and defensively, you do reduce some of the possessions of a game. But they're going to be I, – I don't see a game where they're never not going to be in the game at the end of the game. Now they may, again, they may not win all those games, but, but that style of play, which just happens to be the style of play of most NCAA tournaments. I mean, they're, they're not racing the ball up and down, unless it's a transition basket from a deflection or a steal. Uh, you know, or getting stops, typically it's grinded out in the half court. And I think this group has really bought into that. They're executing better. They're more patient. You seldom see bad shots. Whereas over the last year or two at times, you just kind of wonder sometimes, they're shooting it too quick, especially when they maybe had leads. And I just like the IQ of this team. I like the fact that they shift the ball. And, and obviously those can be attributed to Coach Rose and his staff and to Heath and all, all they're doing. So I like the way they're playing. I think that uh, they're, they're going to be in every game. And, I, and we know, everyone knows that that St. Mary's game is a big game. Yeah. You know? and not that, I know they got two before that, but that's a big game to win because it put, now it puts them back in the championship conversation. And, you know, I – I think you've got to constantly be talking about winning championships. I just I know the NC2A's tournament's important, but the byproduct of winning championships is you get to go to the NC2A tournament. And so uh, I, I just like the direction of everything that's happening right now at the team. Well, Steve, uh, thanks for letting me lean on you to kick off the show tonight and uh, yeah. joining us from California. We'll do this again as the season progresses, if that's okay with you. I know we'll see you down the line oh, at yeah. different venues. I, I but uh, you, Greg. It's always good to be with no, you, Steve. Thanks a lot. You bet. Take care. Good luck this week, guys. Thanks a lot, Steve. All right, that's Coach Cleve, Steve Cleveland, opening our show tonight. Coming up next, some more BYU basketball talk. BYU assistant head coach at Tim Lacombe, just around the bend, joining us here in Studio 2. And then Tyler Hawes later in this hour. You are tuned in on BYU Radio, Sirius XM 143, BYURadio.org, and the BYU Radio app. My name is Greg Grubel. This is Behind the Mic with Greg Grubel. Tim Lacombe next, back after this. 
Welcome back to Behind the Mic with Greg Rubel. Well, now in his second decade with the BYU basketball program, Tim Lacombe has come a long way from the mean streets of Plano, Texas, and the halls of academia at the University of Utah with a missionary stop in Boston. Tim cut his coaching teeth on the hill, learning at the feet of stern taskmaster Rick Majerus as a student manager for the Running Utes, later moving on to the Utah high school ranks, serving on the staffs at Lone Peak and American Fork before returning to the U as a video coordinator under head coach Ray Giacoletti. Coach Lacombe joined the BYU family just over 10 years ago, serving Dave Rose for three seasons as operations director before joining Coach Rose as an assistant coach in 2010 before his elevation to assistant head coach status in 2015. A former lead singer for the Party Hounds. Tim can still carry a tune and kick out the jams. He's a classic rock aficionado, a hairband devotee, a father of three, and an important part of the Cougar basketball program that is off to a 9-2 and start to the season and currently enjoys a six-game win streak. Coach Lacombe, welcome into Studio 2. Great to have you with me here behind the mic. It's great to be with you, my, my good man. So I mentioned Plano, Texas. I know that's part of your past. Yeah. Is that... Where, where's where's born and raised Tim Lacombe? Born and raised Tim Lacombe is uh, is Highland, Utah. I lived in Highland Nearby. before it was it was actually cool to live in Highland. You didn't <laughs> want to it was admit fashionable. it. Yeah, uh, but I grew up there and uh, lived there until uh, my father actually passed away when I was twelve, and um, a couple of years later in eighty four, uh, my my mother remarried, and we. She married a guy from Texas, and we uprooted and moved out there, and it was uh, it was quite a change, but a, a really great change, and um, really enjoyed the time there in Texas. So, how much um, when you when you let's say got to college age, how much did you consider yourself a Utahan as opposed to a Texan at that point? Um, it was. Uh, I mean, I've lived the majority of my life in Utah, and so. Texas was almost like a extended vacation. Um, I was there for basically, you know, three, three and a half, four years, and then, um, and that was pretty much it. So I, I would consider myself a Utahan for sure. Did you enjoy your Texas years? I loved, I loved it. I loved Texas. It, it's, um, we just lived north of, of Dallas there in Plano. It was, you know, growing like crazy. And, um, and what I thought when I moved there was everything was brand new. You know, Plano was kind of a, a fast-growing city and uh, a lot going on. We had a, a big high school. Um, our football team at Plano um, actually won the national championship two years in a row, USA Today. My junior and senior years, I was not a football player. Um, but uh, we had, of the 22 starters, we had 16 or 17 guys go to Division One off that team. So it, it was a big deal, and, and it was a lot of fun. It was a great place to grow up. When did you gravitate toward basketball? Uh, I started loving basketball at a really young age. Um, I mean, I, I got involved, you know, seven, eight years old, and it was a passion and a love. And uh, I was never, you know, kind of like one of my mentors, Rick Majerus, I was never very good. But um, I loved it, and, um, you know, my my mom pulled some tapes out of the – closet a couple years ago that uh she found that you know i would sit and watch the cbs game of the week nba game of the week and and i would commentate you know on these tapes um so it it was something that i always loved and i always you know 
wanted to be a part of. Um, I played basketball through high school. I played at Plano Senior High School, um, and that was pretty much the end of my playing road. But basketball has always been a real you know, real love of mine. You mentioned commentary, and uh, you were a comms major at mm-hmm. Utah, right? I was. And um, and and there there had been some some radio in your background, right? Yeah. Some broadcasting in your yeah, background. Yeah, I, I actually did some um, way back when. Um, there was a guy named the King, Barry King. Do you the remember? King and I, yeah, yeah, sure, yeah. So I did some work for him. In fact, I interviewed as an intern. Um, I interviewed Marshall Falk. After he rushed for 297 or whatever it was, yards against BYU. BYU down, yeah. Um, over at the Marriott in the hotel. Um, <laughs> that was, it was crazy that I, you know, but I, I kind of, people that know me and kind of followed my life, they, they call me Forrest Gump because I, you where, just kind of show up places. I just kind of show up places and it's yeah. just kind of strange. But yeah, I did, I did something with him. And then when I went to the University of Utah and I was actually working as a manager, I also did an internship with David Locke at, at his show. Um, and Chris Tunis, um, who obviously has passed, it was a great radio guy. And so I, at one point I thought that's kind of where my, my journey would go, but, uh, it's, it's just a wild thing. I, I would not recommend my path to anyone. It's been wild. I was Chris Tunis's first ever intern. I remember that. Yeah. Back I remember in the day. when you did the, yeah, I, I remember you guys being connected. Yeah. He, he was the sports director at KSL radio and posted for an internship down here at BYU. I applied for it, got it. And I was the first, uh, it was the first time he decided he needed some help really right. in, in the afternoons at KSL, and so I got to occupy that role, and that put my foot in the door at KSL, and the rest is uh, – I mean, I wouldn't be sitting here today or doing BYU sports if it weren't for that internship. That, I mean, that, that was it. And we got that little connection, and that's kind of how life is. It's uh, it's an interesting journey. I think you – you know, if you just keep your head down and, and you know, push hard, maybe, you know, some your dreams come true. So to the party hounds – uh, this is a band. I guess we, you know, we could have. And, and forgive me if I'm characterizing them wrong, but a cover band with some original numbers. A cover band with one original number. Okay, the original number was "I'd Break My Nose for You." Yes, it was, and it was really good. It actually got airplay in Texas on the Dallas radios. Um, we played a lot of. We were young. We were high school kids, but we got um, invited to play in some clubs there in Dallas. We played. We won a battle of the bands. We played in front of 23,000 people in our football stadium on the 4th of July. Uh, the fireworks going off, and we were playing. Uh, we sang Pretty Woman, the Van Halen cover, dedicated to the Statue of Liberty. Yeah, it was fun. You, you favored Van Halen. You had some Van Halen numbers in your repertoire, yep, obviously. Uh, you, had some, you had a lot of hair band stuff. Um, and, and again, the, the one, the one original number, I'd break my nose for you. If you had to... Uh, kick it out, start to finish. Right now, could you rock all the lyrics to that? Just no, no worries, no question. Okay. Yeah, we we actually had a reunion this summer. Um, it's we, got its own Facebook Facebook page, by the way. And, and yeah. if you look up on um, if you look up on YouTube, there is actually a video of us playing that live at a at a at a show uh, back in '87. I've I've seen it. Very thin. I was very thin. You were at the rail time. thin. Yeah, rail you were thin. you were reedy thin. I had and the uh, Magic Johnson cons. I kind of had like a, I got like a even even though it wasn't the genre, I got like a Beastie Boys vibe from your wardrobe. Yeah, that, you know? they were a big influence for sure. Um, that was right about that time, and we were we actually all went and saw the Beastie Boys together, and they were a big uh, they were a big influence for sure. And of course, you and your bandmates remain great friends forever yeah. and ever and ever. Yeah, our. You know what? It's always interesting where everybody ends up. But um, our our guitar player, who was definitely the the 
most talented and he talk about dreams i mean he carried his guitar like you'd go to his house ring the doorbell he'd come to the door with his guitar around his neck and he would have that thing with him all the time and he's actually uh, just recently last year or two inducted into the texas music hall of fame um he has a had a band called soul hat that was very popular and signed a deal with sony and so you know kevin mckinney is his name and he's a terrific musician and and you know, we've all kind of gone our separate ways, but he stayed in music. It's pretty neat. You love music and rock music and classic. You'll travel for gigs. You, 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 I don't do a lot of this, but you do it more than I do. You, you'll, you'll travel to see a good show. And uh, we've been at the same gigs on more than a couple of occasions where we'll be at the same show. Right. Uh, we, we have a lot of the same interests musically and what we like, but uh, I was never talented enough to be in a band as you were. But it's a big part of your life. And yet it's, um, you know, basketball pays the bills for you and has for a long long time uh going to utah was that a place you uh i mean you were coming out of high school from texas i guess at that point right yeah so i I went to uh i went out of texas i went on my mission and when i got home i actually really wanted to work here at byu uh, for roger reed i actually had reached out to him Uh, again forrest gump i (laughs) i actually accompanied sean bradley and ryan cuff on their unofficial visits to byu Hmm. they were two good friends of mine and during that visit, I actually talked to Roger about maybe coming here. Roger's one of the guys that I thought, you know, he's another guy that I, I watched a lot, watched his teams, had a ton of respect for. But it just didn't work out um, for me to come here. And uh, so I actually went to the U, to UVU for a year. And then my wife actually got accepted to the University of Utah. And when she did, I called Jeff Judkins, of all people. And Jeff got me a job. Forrest Gump again, where you're full circle stuff all the time. Yeah. So Juddy got me a job um, at Utah. And I literally, my first job was, um, you know, anytime anybody fell on the floor, it was to wipe up the sweat. That's where I started this thing. And it's, it honestly, it's it's a remarkable thing. And and I have so many people to thank over the years for giving me a chance. But uh, that was, that was my first introduction to basketball. And I was able to sit there for two years, and I worked my way through that to being the head manager, which was more or less, a, you know, the consigliere of Coach Majerus. You were at his beck and call. But one of the things that was cool about it was you're always with him, and you listen to him talk, and you saw what he saw. And I know, you know, particularly this audience, there's a lot of disdain for Coach Majerus, but the one thing you can't argue is he's a basketball genius. And I was able to learn so much from him and then incorporate that into my life and my career, you know, starting in high school and bring some of those things and kind of found my way through it. And that's the thing. Anybody who's spent multiple years working that closely with Rick Majerus is going to end up with some great stories to tell. But beyond the stories to tell, um, there's a knowledge base that um, helps you get to uh, the places you got as a coach. Right. And and it's always interesting when you don't play the game uh, at a really high level. I think you're, in a a way, you're a little bit at a disadvantage um, because, you know, the great great players, when they talk about it, they've actually been out there and done it. And they, you know, the biggest thing about coaching in my mind is you can have all the great thoughts in the world. But at the end of the day, it's how do you communicate them and how do you get the guys to do what you're talking about? Um, and I thought Majerus was just a master at that. He really was. And he he communicated the game uh, so detailed but so concise and so, in a way, simple that um, it was it was really kind of a thing of beauty. By the time you got to BYU as the ops director, you had a pretty – 
solid indication that this was something you need, you, that coaching was going to be your ultimate destination at, at the D1 level? Is that the hope? Yeah, it's in, so I was at Utah when, with Coach Giacoletti for, the, for two years, and I actually watched that thing kind of unravel, and I had almost lost faith in doing this. Um, I actually had pretty much lost faith in it um, and was just going to go back and work in the private sector and maybe help with a high school team again and be done. Um, I got a call randomly out of the blue from John Wardenberg. And John and I had become really good friends because I was the video guy at, at Utah. And I, he tells me I was the first video guy at Utah that actually treated, you know, the BYU guys with class and respect and all that stuff. Um, but I, uh, through that association with John, when this job came open, Walter Ruiz left. Coach promoted Terry Nash if the, the operations job was open. And I was such a – I mean, you remember me at Utah. I was such a Utah guy um, that I really thought at the time, I, there's no way I could ever wear blue. Um, so when John called me the first time, he said, hey, you ought to apply for this job. I told him, no, I don't have any interest. I'm, I don't want to do that. And about 10 days went by and he called me again. And he said, Tim, Coach Rose wants to meet you. Will you just come over and talk to him? And for whatever reason, I thought, okay, I'll do it. And I came over. I didn't know Coach at all. I'd never met him. I mean, I shook his hand in the line after we played, but I'd never talked to him. Mm-hmm. And long, long story short, when I met him in his office that day, I there was no doubt in my mind what I wanted to do. Um, coach Rose might be one of the best human beings that's ever been a part of this game. Um, he's got an ability to, you know, translate his message, um, be a disciplinarian, but at the same time be a real person. And I, I really was excited after walking out of that office. The ops guy is close enough to it, but but really is not allowed to do the X's and O's stuff that a coach ends up doing. Right. Uh, but how formative was though, were those seasons spent in operations to, to getting you to where you got? I think the biggest thing was, um, you know, there were there's so many things that you do in that job that are you know, you get zero credit for it. I mean, Andrew May's our guy right now. And Andrew May literally does probably 85% of what we do. <laughs> it's amazing the job that, that what that job entails. Um, and I think the biggest thing for me at that point was I learned how Coach Rose likes things done. And, um, you know, I just threw myself into it. And I really, during that time, I, I've never had a job and thought I want to be this. You know, I never had a job where I've looked and said, man, I like this job, but if I could just do this. Um, I've always kind of just lowered my head in the job I'm in, try to do the very best job I can. And I believe that if you do that, you know, if things are supposed to open up for you, they will. And That's how it worked for Forrest. Yeah. Run, baby. <laughs> um, so anyway, I, I just, I loved being an ops guy and I thought maybe I'd do that forever. Um, and then when Coach Wardenberg left and you know, Coach Rose called me into his office and offered me this job. I, I was, uh, I was really excited but nervous, and I wanted to make sure that Coach really wanted to do this. I told him, you know, you don't need to feel this expectation, but he felt like it was something that I'd be really good at. And um, you know, at that point, for me, the biggest thing that that allowed me to do was recruit. And I think my, I love people. You know, I love to sit down and chew the fat with people and talk to them. And so relationships are what recruiting is all about. And so I dove into that, and that's kind of been one of my main things is recruiting guys um, over the last, you know, what has it been, eight years? As, as much as folks um, 
focus on a team chemistry, meaning on-floor chemistry. How important is coaching chemistry, staff chemistry, and, and what's Coach Rose's uh, magic touch when it comes to that? He's, he's just a great manager of people, and I think his biggest strength is his ability to have no ego in having to do it everything his way. Um, he hires guys, and then he allows them to go out and do it the way they would do it. Obviously has some guidelines and some things, but um, he allows you to, to coach and recruit your personality to this place. And um, he's, he's been great at it. And I've been really fortunate because I've been on just absolutely great staffs here. Um, I would say that some of my best friends, you know, in my life have come from the last 11 years working alongside. And Dave Rice and I talk probably three or four times a week. Terry Nash and I talk probably three to four times a week. Uh, I still stay in touch, very close touch with my uh, John Wardenberg. And then, you know, this this year being able to work with Quince, um, you know, Mike Hall was on our staff, become a great friend. And uh, and now Heath, who has just been, it's been phenomenal to work with Heath. So it, it's it's been terrific. And I think that staff chemistry doesn't necessarily ensure success, but a lack of it you're pro- you're pretty Can much torpedo destined. things. Yeah, I, yeah. I think totally torpedo things. And we've been fortunate. Just you know, we've all gotten along. We've all understood our strengths, our weaknesses, played to our strengths. And um, you know, I think that's a big reason why that you know, obviously you had great players. But what Coach Rose has done here um, historically over over history at BYU, particularly, is just phenomenal. You took the job that Terry Nash have had when Terry got promoted, and then you and Terry were together for, for from that point onward. And so you lose Terry this past year, yet you stay in touch, of course, and then you bring in Heath. Um, and, and you did you have any awareness of Heath's prior stint here at BYU? Yeah, I yeah. was actually a high school coach. I was coaching at Lone Peak, and I coached Sam Burgess, and they were recruiting Sam. BYU was recruiting Sam, and he ended up going to Snow and then coming here. But Heath was uh, one of the guys that was recruiting him, and so – I had you know a handful of conversations with Heath, and then obviously watched him. And anytime you watch the broadcast, you can't help but hear him. Um, and so, uh, we, or listen to it, or listen to yeah, it. That's yeah. true. Um, and so, yeah, I've, I've known Heath for a lot of years. Not like I know him now, um, but I've always had a really high regard for him. And, and I didn't think you know that could go further because I always thought so highly of him. And and what he's you know coming in this year and helping us do the things we've done. His you know his his uh, reputation in my mind's gone through the roof. Yeah, now that you do know do know him, how would you describe his mo when it comes to uh, getting things done? No nonsense. Um, absolutely, twenty four hours a day, seven days a week, figuring out how to make this program better. Uh, I'm, I don't know that I've ever seen a more relentless worker. Mm. He has been. He's he's phenomenal, and I think the the biggest compliment I can give Heath is. Um, you know, a lot of guys learn the game a certain way, and they think that that's the way you do it. And Heath actually, you know, coached, got a head coaching job after being an assistant for a lot of years at Portland State. Um, then he, he went to Fresno and he got the Wyoming job. And, you know, he he even now talks about some of the regrets in terms of the way he played and the style of play and the way he recruited. Um, he... Then went to, you know, back to being an assistant, and then he got the Tennessee Martin job. But during those years, he, he spent a ton of time researching and studying and figuring out, you know, difference, a different style, a different way to do this thing. And I have so much respect for, you know, the fact that he's kind of a lifetime learner in basketball, and he's changed many 
different things over the years to try to hone in on, you know, the style that is is the best. How much of nine and two through eleven games is built to last through the entire regular season? Like, what what is working now that you think can keep on working and get you guys to a really good spot? I think the, the just the the focus on the details, um, Coach. Uh, Rose, Coach Schroyer, you know, one thing we always stress with our players every single day is that the magic of this is it's not, you know, there's no secret formula, there's no secret sauce. The magic is in the details. Um, and I think the one thing we are probably more um, tuned into as a staff with these guys is we spend a lot more time on the precious details that try to, you know, that hopefully will carry. And I think one of those things is, you know, we've changed a few things schematically, defensively, but I think just the overall emphasis and um, holding guys accountable to, to that end of the floor has made a huge difference. And I think defense will travel. I think that's one thing you can really kind of count on. Tim, it's been good to have you in here, and I'm excited for uh, what's ahead. We have four more home games in this five-game home stand. Got off to a great start against Utah. And just a word or two about that before I let you go. How fun a night was that Saturday night? You're a former Ute, but that's, those days are long gone. You're all BYU blue now. Pretty much a full house. Hadn't played the game in a year. That place was electric, and you guys played about as well as you could hope to play in that game, I thought. I thought it was a well-played game. I mean, I thought Utah came out and played well as you know early on as well. Um, the interesting thing about our team during that week, and it's probably a little bit different than a lot of years, is it was a game that, you know, on paper you look at and you say, this thing could go either way. I mean, there's been years where we just were probably personnel-wise better than they were. And there were years where they were personnel-wise better than we were. But I think during the week, our guys just really got all rid of all the emotion um, and just focused on every single day putting the game plan in and trying to figure out the very best way to beat them. And there was very little emotion and there was very little worry. And, and during the game, obviously, the guys played so confidently and, and there was no panic. You know, they made some runs at us and then we responded. And it was just very dogmatic. Workmanlike. Very workmanlike, yeah. yeah. And um, at like the end... Go, like, we've got this. We're okay. We're good. Yeah. yeah. The whole game, the guys just believed we were going to win the game. Um and so that that was what I take from it. But the environment, I, I just looked around, you know, because you just you get eleven years into a place, and you and you really you look around and you say, I don't know how much longer this is all going to be here for me, but what a cool thing! And um, I'm glad the rivalries played again. I'm excited that you know those games will be played, and um, and I I do have a ton of respect for. You know, I know there's been a lot of things on both sides, but for me personally, I think that it it was a really good thing, and I'm really glad that it was played the way it was played, and there were no issues, and um, we got in and got out of there, and most importantly, we won. Last thing for you. Best Van Halen, lead singer David Lee Roth, or lead singer Sammy Hagar? I'm not going to even mention Gary Sharon, no disrespect, but uh, between those two, the best Van Halen is? That's hard for me because it's almost like, which kid do you like better? Um, I probably identify more closely with Sammy because um, I was in my high school years when those came out, and I know every single song. You know, the 70s, the the stuff that came out in the 70s with David Lee, I love it. But I probably, if I were pinned down, I'd probably identify more with Sammy. He's uh, my nickname, in fact. My middle name's Samson. So at Utah, like Doliag, Van Horn, Andre Miller, if they were to see me, they call me Sammy. Um, and my little alter ego in life. I, I've got a little Sammy in me. You're not the Red Rocker. 
because you're you you, you do not have the blue that. yeah bomber. <laughs> <laughs> Tim, good to have you in. Uh, Thanks, here Greg. behind this the mic cool. in studio too. We'll do it again sometime. I'm sure. Appreciate it. Thank you. All right, Tyler Hawes coming up next. This is behind the mic with Greg Grubel. You're listening to us on BYU Radio, Sirius XM 143, BYU and the BYU Radio app. Our BYU basketball night continues with the Cougars' all-time leading scorer, Tyler Hawes, is coming up next on Behind the Mic. Back after this. Did you know that BYU has more than 80 alumni chapters worldwide? It's a way to connect with other alumni, help students in need, and help spread the influence of the Y all around the world. Most places have chapters where you live, and there are also chapters based on what your major was or even your profession. And chapters do great things, like helping provide financial aid for more than 400 BYU students this year. Find your chapter and get connected at alumni.byu.edu slash chapters. BYU alumni, connected for good. Welcome back to Behind the Mic with Greg Rubel. It is time for Catching Up with the Cougars, sponsored by BYU Alumni. Connected for good. Find your chapter and get connected at alumni.byu.edu slash chapters. Well, by the time he got to BYU, Tyler Hawes was already a household name in Utah County, while the Hawes family name was already well-known in Cougar Nation. A multiple-time state MVP, Mr. Basketball, and Gatorade Player of the Year in Utah, and two-time state champ, all-time scoring leader at Lone Peak High School. Tyler came to BYU in 2009, a true freshman joining established juniors Jackson Emery and Jimmer Fredette in what would be a prolific BYU backcourt that helped BYU advance to the NCAA tournament and BYU's first tournament win in many years. Tyler would, in his freshman season, end the season on a streak of 48 straight free throws made and was named to the All-Mountain West Conference third team. After two years of missionary service in the Philippines, Tyler returned to a new team and a new conference, too. As a sophomore, he paced BYU to the NIT Final Four at Madison Square Garden as a junior. He earned West Coast Conference Player of the Year honors and got BYU back to the NCAA tournament. His senior season saw Tyler become BYU's all-time scoring leader and helped the Cougs again to a second straight big dance bid and his third NCAA tournament appearance. Since leaving BYU, Tyler's played in multiple professional settings in Europe and stateside. He's now an expectant father and an encouraging brother as he watches younger sibling TJ carry on the Haas hoops tradition at BYU, following in the high-top steps of Tyler and dad Marty. It's a pleasure to welcome in BYU's all-time top scorer, Tyler Haas. Tyler, good evening. Hey, Greg. How you doing? Really, really well. Uh, you're home for the holidays, it would appear. Home for the holidays, yeah. It's been good to be back at this time of year. We haven't been around for Christmas for a while. How much of you these days is uh, is watching the phone for messages and talking to agents and still trying to figure out basketball, and how much of you is gets catching a breath right now and just enjoying life? Yeah, a little bit of both. Um, you know, I'm trying to figure out what I'm doing, trying to still play. I feel like I've, I've got a lot of basketball left in me. And so, yeah, a lot of my time is talking with agents and staying positive and trying to stay in shape and stay motivated. Um, but it's definitely been nice to – you know, be back around family and um, back in Utah this time of year. Can you share with our audience uh, your European basketball experiences of, over the last couple of seasons? Yeah, for sure. So, you know, I finished in 2015 at BYU and I got married that summer. 
Um, and then we took off for Spain uh, in at the end of August of 2015 and spent a, a season there. Uh, played in a, a very good league there, uh, the, the ACB. Played against lots of um, lots of good teams and good competition that you know you've you've never heard heard of before. But you quickly come to find that man, these guys can play. Um, and then I came back came back that summer um, and then left in the fall for Poland and played a season there. Uh, we were in you know in in a small town in the middle of Poland. Uh, never thought we'd end up there, but. I uh, had a great experience. Uh, it was very different than Spain, but you know we still uh, found a way to enjoy it, and and so that that's what it's been so far. And you know this this past fall, uh, you know plans have kind of changed a few different times. I, I spent some time in Italy, and then I spent some time back east, and you know we've we've almost gone to a few different spots, and just trying to you know find the best situation. The things this past fall, besides Italy, uh, involved G League teams, right? Yes. Yeah, so I, I was back in back in Delaware for about three weeks, and um, that didn't end up working out. And I almost went to another G League team, and um, and now I, my focus has kind of switched to, to back to Europe, and so I'm trying to find an opportunity somewhere over there. Compare your coldest winter in Utah to your coldest winter in Poland, which you had. You had one. You had one winter there, right? How rough was it? Man, it's pretty cold. And you know, the difference in Poland is, you know, you're in the northern hemisphere of the world, and uh, the sun goes down a lot earlier. The sun goes down at like two o'clock, and so there's <laughs> not a lot of sunlight in the day. So that that cold feels a lot colder. Um. But not as much snow, um, you know, so it's been nice to be back in Utah a little bit, and I think the snow is finally coming down tonight. That's so. what that's what they say. Uh, speaking of G League, uh, Tyler, Kyle Collinsworth just yesterday uh, got signed to a two-way deal with the Dallas Mavericks. He's been with their G League team uh, there in Texas the last couple of seasons, and now he's got himself a two-way contract, which uh, uh, which usually bodes well for guys uh, trying to show themselves at the next level. And um, as you've seen Kyle develop his game, what are your thoughts about a guy that uh, has really turned himself into a very marketable pro right now? You know, well, first off, I'm just really, really happy for Kyle. I know he's uh, put in a lot of time and effort and overcome a lot in in his career to get to where he is today, you know, dealing with with different injuries and things. Um, but I'm really proud of proud of him and and getting that contract. That's not not an easy thing to do. And you know he's kind of found his niche down there and found a way to fit in a system and, and play well. And so I'm really excited for him and excited for the opportunity he has. And, um, you know, hopefully he can, he can make the most of it. He was one of your great teammates at BYU, as was uh, Jimmer Fredette, and Jimmer's doing his thing in China. Would you be just as content if Jimmer stays in China, becomes kind of this uh, folk legend there and never plays another minute in the NBA? Would that be okay with you as, as a former teammate and someone who's a Jimmer fan? For sure. No, I mean, he's he's doing amazing things over there, and, um, you know, they love him over there. He's a superstar, and, you know, I think 
you know, if you're if you're on a team averaging 50 points a game and making good money, why not stay there? You know, uh, but I'm I'm happy for Jimmer too. And you know, as a pro basketball player and, and having been a part of it and seen different leagues and things, uh, it, it's really amazing. You know what what Jimmer has done, and um, he's the ultimate competitor, and he makes it look easy. You know, lots of guys just think he's this automatic do automatic scorer, but he really puts in a lot of time and effort. And I know it's been it hasn't been easy for him. I know it's been a grind, and there's been some tough years, and he's stuck with it. And um, tip my hat to him. Chatting with Tyler Haas on behind the mic tonight, uh, Greg Rubel with you. Uh, Jimmer Mania truly happened in his senior season at BYU. You got to be his teammate one year during his junior season. Things were just kind of getting going. We had those moments, right, where we could sense something pretty special was happening. Um, did did you get a pretty good sense that he could blow up into what he became when you were on your mission? I knew he was going to be special that next year, but I didn't understand you know, fully how special he was going to be. Um, you know, we saw, like you said, we saw some glimpses of, you know, the superstar he became. I, I remember, you know, one game specifically down at Arizona that he just went off for, I think he had 50 points. And I just, I sat there amazed. I couldn't believe, you know, he just kept hitting three after three after three (laughs) and not, not easy shots. I mean, tough shot after tough shot. And I was like, this dude is, this dude's crazy. And, um, I remember Greg a specific time on my mission. I was in the Philippines on the other side of the world, and you know my dad kept me updated through email just of what what was going on at the time. But I had a Filipino come up to me, and and he he recognized that I was American. He didn't know that I I went to BYU, and he's like, hey, hey, do you know Jimmer for dead? <laughs> Like, you played with yeah, him, yeah. I, I played with Jimmer for that, <laughs> but like that's how big he got. You know, he people from the Philippines knew who he was and were starting to follow him. And so, right then, I kind of knew that his senior season was something special. Your freshman season ended, as I said, in the NCAA tournament, and and you guys got that win over Florida to advance to the second round. And I don't know if folks remember just how big that was, right? BYU had gone, what, 17 years, Tyler, without winning an NCAA tournament game before you guys got that win in the NCAAs uh, against Florida. Do you remember at the time that being a big story, that it had been so long and you guys were the first team to finally advance? For sure. You know, I think that was the, you know, kind of the the idea that was following us around at the time is that we were just, we'd make it to the tournament, but we were kind of one and done and a lot of us hated that and I knew that that war on coach coach Rose a lot and um, I I can remember the night before the game uh, being in a team meeting and going through you know their personnel and different plays and things and coach at the end standing up and saying we are going to do this thing and with such a determined voice and just you know, gave everyone so much confidence that we were going to do it. And, you know, it, it wasn't an easy game. And uh, But what a, what an amazing thing to be a part of and a great group of guys and uh, definitely a memory I won't forget. 
now that BYU has gone back-to-back years outside of the NCAA tournament, I hope folks don't take for granted how hard it is to do what you guys did. You got to play in three NCAAs, and the one year that you didn't go to the NCAAs, you got to go to Madison Square Garden. You had a, you had a great postseason career at BYU. Three big dances, one MSG. Um, th- th- those are some of the best times, I think, when we got into March. For sure. I mean, um, anytime you can get in any type of postseason in college basketball, there's nothing better uh, than than those uh, those tournaments. And you know, I think also the you know, the West Coast Conference tournament. We we had some good times, um, you know, beating teams, and we never got we never got past Gonzaga. But uh, you know, advancing with any team and making it to a tournament is. Um, a, a big deal in, in college basketball, and uh, those are some of my, my best memories with, with my teammates and coaches. You certainly know what an NCAA tournament caliber team looks like. Your little brother TJ is playing on a team that's right now 9-2. and two. And uh, from what you've seen from BYU so far, what tells you this has the makings of a team that if they continue to progress could find themselves dancing again after a couple of years away? You know, I'm I'm really excited about this team. Um, from what I've seen, I didn't know quite what to expect. Um, you know, after losing Eric and Nick, and you know, I think a lot of people felt that way. Um, but the one thing I've I've seen, Greg, is that this team has found a way to win. Uh, you know, different type games, and we've won. We've won pretty ugly in some games, um, but then we've played really well and shot the ball really well in some games and kind of ran away with some some games and and I think uh, you see NCAA tournament teams and they they just find a way to win in any type of style and and I think this team is very capable of that Um, you know typically in the past when we don't shoot the ball well or um, you know it, it when we when it turns into just a, a run and gun match, uh, it doesn't doesn't always end up that well for for us. But this team has uh, locked in defensively, uh, focused on all the small details on that end of the floor, and you know weathered some storms and some games, and they just find a way to win. And I think it's an unselfish group of guys um, that really just care about winning games and. Um, I that's what I think uh, will you know carry them pretty far and and help them get to the tournament. And you're a proud brother too, obviously. For sure, no, I'm I'm really proud of Teach and uh, the player in person he he's become. And you know I think he's you watch him and I, I want him to be a little more aggressive, but he likes getting other guys involved. He likes making plays for. For other for his teammates and Tej's whole thing is he's all about just making the right basketball play and whether that's um, him shooting the ball um, or you know throwing a lob or getting someone a shot in the corner or you know throwing it up to someone he's going to do that and he's a team first guy and um, you know that makes me really proud to be his bro. Well, I have 30 seconds left with you, uh, Tyler. You talked about getting married in the summer. You married a girl named Summer, and uh, she's a former BYU gymnast, and you're going to be parents here in the spring, right? Yeah, so we're expecting our first child, and it's a girl. 
we're we're really really excited and um you know life's about to change a little bit but we couldn't be more excited well all the best to you and summer and the baby and i'm glad that you're around we love seeing you around at games and otherwise and uh, if something picks up in the basketball sense and you get a job somewhere we'll hope to know about that too tyler thanks for coming on with us tonight thanks so much greg all right all right, that's Tyler Hawes, and that is it for Behind the Mic with Greg Rubel tonight on BYU Radio, Sirius XM 143, org, and the BYU Radio app. Hope you enjoyed tonight's broadcast. I certainly did. Coach Cleveland was our first guest tonight. Steve Cleveland joining us on the line from California. BYU assistant head coach Tim Lacombe was in studio, too, for our middle segment. And we just wrapped things up, as you heard, with Tyler Hawes, BYU's all-time scoring leader. Tyler's younger brother, TJ, and the Cougs on BYU Radio tomorrow night. It'll be a 6 o'clock pregame and a 7 o'clock tip for BYU and Idaho State. Then Saturday, it's BYU and Texas Southern, the final two non-conference games for the Cougars before WCC play gets underway one week from tomorrow night, home to Portland, and then St. Mary's in town. So a lot of exciting basketball to be played in the final couple of weeks at the Marriott Center. Again, thanks for tuning in. Really hope you enjoyed the broadcast. Catch us on demand on my BYU Behind the Mic with Greg Rubel podcast feed or on the Behind the Mic show page at byuradio.org. We're on Christmas break for the next two weeks. We're back on January 10th here on BYU Radio. Good night.